the plan. Verse 1 says, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ. Now, this is important to remember, right? Paul is literally in prison, but he's not a, a prisoner of Caesar's in this moment, although Caesar put him in prison. He's saying, I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. So here's, here's what's really going on here, okay? Paul was, a, Paul was a big church guy, even when he was persecuting Christians. He was a big church guy. He liked to do church the way that we'd always done it, okay? And what happened is that the gospel in Christ now, Gentiles are invited into this family that was exclusive. It was the most exclusive community on planet earth. And Jesus comes and he takes that community, flips it upside down. He says, now, uh, hey, the kingdom of God is for the least of these, not for the elite of these. And so what happens is now the Gentiles, who were the people who could never know God, they weren't allowed in the tabernacle. They weren't allowed anywhere near the presence of God. They're welcome to have a seat at the table. Because of this, you and I now have a seat at the table of God in eternity forever. Okay? Hello. I mean, guys, so what we see here is that Paul, who was a really, he was a Jew of Jews. This is what he says of himself. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He knew the law like the back of his hand. So for him to now be the guy who's taking the gospel to the Gentiles, this would have been quite a threat, wouldn't it? So if Paul was always a sympathizer with Gentiles, his conversion means nothing. Oh, Paul, he always had a soft spot for those pagan Gentiles, didn't he? But he, he didn't. He hated you. He hated me, and he was actively persecuting the church. This is why we spent four weeks studying Acts, because we had to know just how severe Paul's persecution was for a couple of things. One, to know how incredible his conversion was. If God can save somebody like Paul, right? Isn't that how we usually do it? Paul can, I mean, if God can save a guy like Paul, like, what can he do with you? Right? Well, Paul was just as dead as you and I were in our trespasses and sins, and that's what Paul's trying to say. But the second thing that we see is now we level the playing field. Now what was designed, what was meant only for a specific people, is now meant for all of those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. I say good news always has a purpose. It was given to me for you. So now how do I respond to that? What do I do with that? Right? If you truly believe that the good news is good then it's something that we should be talking about, right? So I carry the weight, not because I'm a pastor or a preacher, but because I'm a follower of Jesus. I carry the weight that if the good news truly is good, then it is for other people. So for it to be good news and for me to keep it to myself is for me to not believe that it is good. Does that make sense? Okay, everybody okay? All right, verse 3. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, right? Either quoting a different letter or quoting earlier in this letter. Verse 4, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to the, his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. By the Spirit. The Spirit is revealing this good news now to a people who thought the good news could never reach them. This is a people who thought that darkness was better than light, who preferred death over life. And now Paul's saying, hey, you know what? In Christ Jesus, life beats death every single time. Light is better than darkness. Come follow me as I follow Jesus. So what do we see in Paul? One, 
with him still being in prison, he is literally suffering for the gospel. And we're going to come back to this at the end in verse 13, where Paul talks about his suffering is meant for the good of the church in Ephesus. But we shouldn't be surprised by suffering. If you're following Jesus, if you're actually following Jesus, if your life looks like Jesus' life, suffering is headed your way. If it's not already here. Now, I don't mean that to discourage you, right? We want to welcome you into the kingdom of God. But here's the reality. As you follow Jesus, the forces of evil, which Paul's going to talk about here in just a minute, are going to come after you. Because here's what, here's what the forces of evil love. They love people sitting in rows just like you're sitting in and not doing anything for the kingdom of God. Okay? There's nothing that Satan loves more than an apathetic Christian. Somebody who's willing to just sit on the sidelines and ride it out until heaven comes. We should be wary of that. And that is exactly what's happening in Ephesus. You've lost your first love is eventually what Jesus will say of this church. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. Cliffhanger, right? House hunters, okay? All right. So we don't go looking for suffering, but we shouldn't be surprised by it. And we shouldn't be scared of it either. Suffering stinks, guys. I'm being serious. Suffering stinks, but it's coming, and we shouldn't be scared of it. So Paul's this missionary to the Gentiles is exhibit A of God's sovereignty. The way he uses Paul narrative, Paul's narrative to now be the guy, the gospel bearer to the Gentiles is something that we shouldn't miss as we're reading this passage. Verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are. Now here's, here's the thing. I don't like to write in this particular Bible because this is the one that I teach from. And if I write in it, then the next time I teach it, I'm going to try to, what was that point that I was trying to make here? But if you write in your Bible, and I have a Bible that I write in, underline these words. This mystery is that the Gentiles are, one, fellow heirs, two, members of the same body, and three, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is the mystery. For Paul, a mystery is a a truth hidden in the pages of the Old Testament, but it's made clear now in the coming of Jesus. Although this mystery is that the Gentiles would be included in salvation, was present all the way back to God's promise to Abraham. Do you guys remember uh, Genesis chapter 12? This is God's promise to Abraham that if in you all the families of the earth shall be what? Do you remember? Shall be blessed. All the families. Not just an exclusive group of families, but all the families should be blessed. This is a fulfillment of that. All the way back. Paul's pointing all the way back, which means that it would transpire everything that was unclear is now made clear. Okay? Gentiles are fellow heirs. What does that mean? It means that the inheritance that was excluded for a particular people is now welcome to all. Okay? So everything that Christ offers in his life, his death, his resurrection, and eventually his consummation when he comes back and makes all things new is now given to you as a Gentile. As someone now who is in Christ. Gentiles are members of the same body. Why is this important? The Jews would have said that we are a body. And our body has walls. And nobody who's outside the wall can come inside of the wall. And Jesus comes and literally tears the curtain. The veil is shattered and ripped from top to bottom. And now we are the same body. In a couple weeks, we're going to talk about the unity of the body of Christ, and we'll talk more about this then. But the third is that Gentiles are partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So here's, here's what we have to remember, is that we should never act as elite. Christians don't walk around with their big shiny belt buckles or their fancy mustaches. 
I had to do it at some point, and say that I'm better than you. That's not how Christians walk in the world. That's not how they roll in the world. Christians are to be humble servants, just like Christ was a suffering servant. He paved the way for king to not be the guy who's on the throne, but a guy who comes to the people. Now, the throne is still his, and that's his rightful place. But we like to take thrones, and we like to take power. Like, that's my throne. Jesus said, no, my throne is for my people, not for my power. And so when we walk through the world, Christians should be humble. We should be bold, which is what Paul is going to talk about here in just a minute. But we should, we're not better than. If you see a Christian walking around who thinks that they're better than someone else, you should Judy chop them right in the throat. In Jesus' name. Okay? Does anybody know Judy chop? Okay. We'll, we'll talk after church. If you don't know Judy chop, I'll introduce you to the greatest YouTube video of all time. All right, verse 7. Let's pick back up. All right? Of this gospel, we're going to go down through verse 9. Of this gospel, I was made a minister. Now, that word minister is diakonos, okay, which is where we get the word deacon, which means servant, okay? So Paul, an apostle, is now serving the church, okay? He is giving up his status to serve the church. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's what? His grace which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, verse 8, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Paul sees himself as the least of all the saints. In 1 Timothy 1, he says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving, a full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Right? I mean, I'm, I'm reading Paul, like probably like a lot of you are, and like, man, Paul, what an elite guy. Like he's, he is elevated, right? He wrote like most of, our, most of the Bible. But he is this guy that we're to model our lives after, right? We see him. He, he's the one who says over and over again, follow me as I follow Jesus. He gives us the actual example. And so as we read him, as we study him, as we walk through his sufferings, which don't end here, by the way, we should see that and we model it in the world. And then our job is to call people to come alongside for the journey. This, this idea of, of Paul working and his, him, him writing to the church is he's saying, I want to serve you. I am one of you. Right? A lot of times we come to church and you're like, man, we have a good preacher. No, you guys don't do that, but some churches might do that, right? Where you come in and you come to church because of the teaching. You come because of the guy who's up front, which is okay. But if that's the only reason that you're coming, we're missing the point. All right, our job here, whoever's up here week after week, is to continue to point towards Jesus, continue to preach the gospel. As recipients, right, this is what Paul was establishing in chapter 2, as recipients of the great gift of salvation... What do we have to boast in except the gift itself? Right? We did nothing to earn it. We can do nothing to lose it. So our boast is in Christ and in Christ alone. This is what Paul is getting after. So I love this idea of proclaiming the riches of Christ. I did this a couple weeks ago when we were talking about uh, God who is rich in mercy. Right? That word rich, we all kind of have that person in our life that we know who's rich. You know, the, the uncle or the neighbor or whoever. He's probably a doctor or I don't know who he is. But this idea of being rich in mercy, this idea here, proclaiming the riches of Christ, is he has an, 
abundance of mercy. He has an abundance of grace. And so what we're doing is we're, I don't know why that's happening. We're just going to keep rolling with it, if that's okay with you. Uh, proclaiming the riches of Christ. That's what we're doing as we share the gospel. I'm going to turn it off and take the handheld, okay? Check, check. Okay, I promise not to do, like, this isn't my transition into prosperity gospel. Okay. Sorry, that was a ricochet shot. I hate these things, by the way. All right. Uh, sorry if I don't know what to do with my hands anymore. I'm just going to hold this thing and do the best that I can. All right. So pr- proclaiming the riches of Christ. It's in bold in my notes, so I know exactly where I left off. All right. Uh, right, right after mustache. Okay. So, oh, man, guys. All right. As we go in the world, no matter what God has called you to do, and he's called us all to do different things, that's what's beautiful about the body of Christ, is we all have different skills. We all have different gifts. But our point, our mission is the same. If what you're doing in the church is not pointing to Jesus, but it's pointing to something else, then your role in the church is not right. If your role in the world is doing other than, anything other than pointing to Jesus, then your role isn't fulfilled yet. It doesn't matter what you're doing, what your vocation is. You do it to the glory of God, proclaiming the riches of Christ. You talk about something that our world needs to hear probably more than anything else, it's that. That full richness, full satisfaction, full contentment is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. But we're called to be bearers of good news in a world that prefers darkness. We prefer a broken garden over restoration. And so our job as Christians is to say, no, 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 there is something better that's coming. There's something better, and Jesus is the way. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, who I quote a lot because I really like him in... um, I, he just, he's a giant in theological circles, okay? But he wrote this, or he said this in a sermon, and he, he says, every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. Now, ultimately, what Paul's doing here is he's giving a, a mission status to the church, okay? Of all the passages that he writes to Ephesians, this one in particular is to the church to be on mission, okay? So Spurgeon says, every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. Now, just Spurgeon wrote this. I did not write this, okay? Then he says, you either try to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. You talk about a hard truth to hear. Like when you sit back and you look at your life, and again, we're all in different seasons. This is what's beautiful about a church that's kind of grown a little bit, is now we have like every demographic represented in the room. We have little, we have three-year-olds in the room today, and we have people who have retired, and we have college students who are looking for jobs, we have all, like every, everything in between. You either spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. Like that is a weight that we should carry together as we call each other towards Christ-likeness. Then he goes on, he says, it cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. Woo, Spurgeon. You should look him up sometimes. He also has a fantastic beard. Okay. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. Verse 10, let's keep going. So that, all right, so now we're coming back off of what we just read. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have what are these words? Boldness and 
access. We have boldness in access. And it's not just any kind of access. access. It's access with confidence through our faith in him. The church, uh, I, heard, I read this this past week in one of the commentaries I used, but he's defining the church as the embassy of the kingdom of God. If you know anything about an embassy, an embassy is a place is a, is a like a United States building in a foreign land that citizens can go and find refuge, right? If they need to get out of the country or they need help or assistance of some sort. But it's the place, it's like it is United States territory on foreign soil. That is what we are as the church. We are aliens at home. This isn't the end for the church, right? The church isn't just exist on earth and then it it goes away. Eventually, the church will be made fulfilled as the body of Christ in eternity. And so the church being the embassy of the kingdom of heaven is a very helpful way to think through what it is and who we are as the body of Christ. When we see God's love for us, it should propel us to share that with the world. If we truly believe that his love is real, that salvation is real, that he actually takes, okay, that he takes dead things and he makes them living things, and there's a purpose to that life, that life is the glory of God, then that is something worth sharing. We have confidence because of Jesus, who's the great high priest. Hebrews 4, this is a passage that's become familiar to us. Verses 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence, hear that, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So kids, if you're in the room and your little sheet that you got as you walked in, one of the points here is that Christians live by three different things. We live by prayer, we love by prayer, and we make the gospel known by prayer. So listen to that again. Christians live by prayer, they love by prayer, and make the gospel known by prayer. So we, again, we establish this. This is Paul. He's, he literally starts this passage in a prayer, and then it's kind of like a squirrel for a second. And he looks up and he goes, oh, wait, 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 wait. We need to talk about the church real quick. And then he'll pick up in verse 14 with this prayer continued, which is where we're going to be next week, okay? The good news, though, the good news is that we have equal access to the Father through the perfect work of the Son. And there's nothing that erodes that. There's nothing that corrupts that. That is forever and it's final. The good news is we have equal access to the Father through the perfect work of the Son. We're no longer separated because Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. That is who we are in Christ. So now there aren't the the Jews over here and the Gentiles over here. It is now we are one body. We are one people. We are Christians. Okay. Now, for the Jews, they have to recognize that Jesus is the Messiah, the eternally begotten Son of God, right? Which is a hurdle. Jesus even said it's going to be a hurdle. Okay. But now we are brought into the family of God. Lastly, Paul encourages the church through his suffering. One of the things that even waking up this morning and seeing news of what's happening in the Middle East is that God's power to bring us joy far surpasses the world's capacity to bring us sorrow. Hear that. God's power to bring us joy 
far surpasses the world's capacity to bring us sorrow. What would it look like for us, even if it was just us, to be a people of joy? Like true joy, contentment. People who live with a chip of joy on our shoulder. Right? What would our neighbors think? They, one, they're going to think you're crazy. Okay? They're going to think there's something wrong with you. And you're going to say, you're right. Okay? Everybody okay? It's been a weird day. But are you all right? Just checking in here. Okay? God's power to bring us joy far surpasses the world's capacity to bring us sorrow. I, find, I hope you find great hope there. There are four things to remember from this passage. The first is that the church is the focus of God's plan. We have a purpose. We have a mission mandated by God through Jesus Christ, empowered by the Spirit. The church is the focus of God's plan. Christ is the center of God's plan, number two. Christ is the center of God's plan. Three, and this is, we'll break, unpack this one in two weeks, that unity of mankind is a fulfillment of God's plan. Unity of mankind is a fulfillment of God's plan. And lastly, suffering plays a part in God's plan. As Paul writes to the church, you can hear the tenderness and the love in which he has for these people. Right? I would, we, you hear people say all the time that if Paul were to write a letter to the church today, he would say, hello, where did you go? Right? It would probably be a little bit more tender than that. But he would certainly have something to say, and he does through this letter. We are a people who are to take the good news, this ministry of mercy, to the world because the grace of God is better than the darkness of the world. Life is better than death. This is the message of Ephesians. What we'll see over the course of the coming weeks and in the months as we get into Christmas season is that this church in particular, they lost their first love. They knew a lot about who God was. But they weren't motivated to do work, to do mission in the world. And let that be a a warning even to us today. Like if you come and you, and listen, we love to teach the Bible here, okay? So if you're new here, just know that. That's like, there's one thing that we're going to promise to do every week, and that's to teach the Word of God, okay? No matter else what happens or what's working or not working, like we're going to stick to doing that. But if all we're doing is filling our heads with knowledge and our hearts have never been motivated to love, Our heads are never going to help anyone. You can know everything about God. This is what Jesus says. You can know everything about God and and never actually know him. We need to be careful, Christians, because I think certainly in this new generation, this is what I love about college students, okay? We're, we're if you want to come to the Next Steps class, we'll teach you a little bit about this today, but we're a church that unapologetically is pursuing the college student. Because here's what I believe about college students in particular is they have the boldness and courage to go to places that I'm not comfortable going anymore. So if all we're doing, though, is just filling their heads up with knowledge, we're never going to release the slingshot to send them out into the world. It's the same thing with raising kids. I mean, I hope my kids are better than me. I do. I hope they know more about God, but I hope they love better than I do. And if we can be sign bearers, if we can be beacons of hope and light, God will use that to promote the next generation, right? This is how this works. We are here today because of this letter to the Ephesians. Don't forget that. Our church is the responsibility of Paul having the courage to write these words down. All right? The church is the focus. Christ is the center. 
unity of mankind, and suffering. These are what the church will do. This is who the church will be in the world. So let's pray as we go now and transition into a time of communion and response. Our elders and staff team will be around the room if you want to pray. We would love to pray with you this morning. Communion tables are to my right and left. Um, as you form your lines, just take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup. And uh, We want this time to be a time of reflection, a time of remembrance. Not, we're not trying to cattle herd you all through the line as fast as possible. Take your time. The people behind you will not be upset. Okay? So let it be a time of reflection and remembering that of the work that God has done in your life specifically. And if you're questioning what that work might be, well, come find one of us. We'd love to talk to you and pray with you this morning. Father, we are thankful for a time to gather together this morning. We're thankful for your church. We're thankful for this church. God, I pray that as we go out into the world that we would be a people who live by prayer and love by prayer and that we make the gospel known to the world, to our neighbors, to our classmates, our roommates, by prayer. So, Father, we want to be a people characterized by the attributes and the things that you're characterized by. So would you help us uh, today, in this moment right now, uh, to look more like Jesus as we go out into the world this week? We're very thankful and humble that the gospel mystery is revealed to us through Jesus Christ. And we trust that all your promises, all the ones that have already been made true, and all the promises to come, that you will make good on your promises. We love you. We trust you. We thank you for Jesus this morning. We pray in his beautiful name. Amen. Thank you.